Good evening to you guys. Good to see you. And good morning for those of you that said good morning to me in the lobby. I know, it's a hard habit to break. Uh, it's good to be with you tonight. We're going to eventually make our way in just a few minutes to the book of John. And so I think it'd be worth your time if you have a copy of God's Word or if you'd like to use one of the uh, dark blue Bibles that's near you. You can go to John chapter 14. We'll finish uh, this evening with what we want to be the primary emphasis that we make tonight. That's just Jesus' words. This is such an important week in church history. Jesus, if you know much about him, spent a lot of his time, the first 30 years of his life, in obscurity, unknown to most of the people around him to a certain degree, even sort of unknown by his own family. We see that in the Gospels where at one point early in his ministry, his mother and his brothers come to a place that he's doing miracles and they don't understand who he is or what he's there to do, even though, you know, we know the Christmas story, right? The angel came and prophesied to Mary. And so there's such rich teaching, close to the end of Jesus' life, we arrive at a point where he's not hiding who he is anymore, he's not concealing that, he stops telling people after miracles, don't tell anybody, don't go and, you know, go in the temple and, and proclaim what you've seen. Um, but I think that specifically today, this Friday, this last day of Jesus' life on earth, the end of his ministry before his death, it's a day that if we're not careful, we might just run right past um, I don't know what tradition all of you have come from. I know many of us come from a Presbyterian or a Charismatic or a Baptist background. Oftentimes, we, I don't think, give today the weight that it deserves. Uh, we almost treat Good Friday like it's Easter Junior, and we move all the way to Sunday, even though it seems that the scriptures give a lot of weight and a lot of time and a lot of attention to Jesus' death, not just the resurrection that completes the work, but the death that begins it. And so today, Good Friday, though we call it Good Friday, it is in many ways one of the worst days in human history, in created history, because God, who uh, himself created death as a tool to be used as a way to manage and deal with uh, rebellion against himself, submitted himself to that death. And our God experienced something, probably you could argue the one thing in all of creation that he would have never had to had he not chosen to do that. And so that means that today, Good Friday, is a day that's about death. And if you're like me and you live in the same world that I live in, I think most of you do, our culture does not have very much time for death. In the West, in the modern day and age, maybe this is different for your family based on where your ancestors came from, but most of us that think of ourselves first as Americans and not so much the country that our, our forefathers came from, our way of mourning is relatively brief. Uh, we typically share a memory, we talk about a good time, we like to speak about a contribution that a person made to our life, a token, if you will, that we carry with us. And then we just keep going. We go on about our day. We go on about our life. And if we're not careful, I think we'll do that to Jesus. I think he'll be a token to us. He'll be someone from whom we take a concept, an idea, a good factor. We add it to what we've got going on already, and we just move on. To me, uh, many of us, in my experience, don't even really like to talk about death, especially those of us who are in maybe we hope the first half of our lives. None of us know for sure, but we'd hope that maybe we're not quite across the halfway point yet. Many of us live like we'll never die, or we maybe think that when the time comes, we'll somehow be more ready for death than we are now, simply by virtue of being older or maybe being in poorer health. But here's the question that I think is before us. As a people gathered here tonight to observe a day, an event that is about death, what do we do with that in a culture like ours that glorifies youth, that glorifies health and vitality and energy and the future? How does a day about death fit onto calendars that are full of appointments and plans and hopes and dreams? Death is something that many of us fear more than anything else in life. It is the part of life that our culture has the hardest time with. I think the reality is that even if we do all that we possibly can to delay or even prevent death in the short term, our actual day-to-day -day lives are full of 
thousands of small deaths. Every defeat that we face is the death of a dream. Every loss that we experience is the death of our idea of a better future. Every tragedy brings with it the death of our comfort to some degree, our security, potentially our sense of safety. Pastor Pete Scazzaro says this about the way that we navigate the anguish of these smaller deaths. He says, we tend to, and he's talking about all of us, Christians and non-Christians, but people that live in the West, we tend to numb our pain through denial, through blaming, through rationalizations, addictions, and avoidance. We search for spiritual shortcuts around our wounds. We demand others take away our pain, and yet we all face many deaths within our lives. The choice is whether these deaths will be terminal, and what he means by that is crushing our spirit, crushing our life, or will these deaths open us up to new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ? In my experience as a person who grew up in the church, I have found that if we follow Jesus far enough, for long enough, eventually we experience a different kind of death in our lives. We experience the death of our wrong ideas about God, our wrong ideas about the church. This hurts in a different way from the loss that comes to us from external circumstances and situations. The loss of wrong ideas about Jesus is an internal experience. It's existential for many of us. In my life, it hurt when the time came to realize how much of myself I had invested into certain ways of following Jesus or certain specific applications of the Bible, only to find that much of it was foolishness or even wrong. The death of those ideas for me felt like some kind of betrayal. Betrayal by a church tradition that I had bought into, betrayal by leaders within the church who I felt had not given me the full picture, even at times betrayal by God himself. But here's the beauty of this kind of death. If we follow Jesus into his death, through the death of our wrong ideas, through the death of our wrong opinions about the church or even about him, we gain a unique opportunity to realize just how vast and incomprehensible God is. The bigness and the vastness and the incomprehensibility of God that refuses to fit into our boxes and into our systems and into our little platitudes that we tend to hand out to other people who are in pain, this can be a terrifying thing to confront for us. But with time, we realize that it's not a bad thing. It's actually incredibly good news that God does not fit in our boxes. When God doesn't make sense to us, when he may seem unpredictable to us, when he fails to meet our expectations, this is the experience of the disciples on Good Friday. We thought you were this, but now you're hanging on a cross. We thought you'd always be with us, but now you're talking about leaving. We thought you'd overthrow the Roman government and give us our sovereignty back as a nation, and yet you've allowed the Romans to kill you like a criminal. We find ourselves in those positions, if we can be honest as Christians, if we don't take that spiritual shortcut that Pastor Scazzaro talks about. In that moment, finding out that God is different from what we expected and isn't just following our plan for his life is very good news. It is in those moments where we feel at a loss for who God is or what he is doing that he is most clearly communicating his own divinity, most clearly communicating his own sovereignty, his own trustworthiness, because he's still good even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand. In the moments that we find God flat or predictable or one-dimensional, we've really honestly fooled ourselves. We've probably bought into some kind of oversimplification of his character and power. Church, there is nothing better for us on a day like today than to lose our illusions about Jesus, to let our wrong idea of who he is die with him, to come to the day of Jesus' death and to allow all of our pseudo-Christian idols to die with him. Nothing forces us to face the reality of who Jesus is, all he is capable of, and most importantly, what he is willing to do in order to love us to the fullest. Nothing gets us there better than the reality of his death. It's there. 
It's right there where his death makes contact with our lives, where his great love collides with all of our fear of death, our cultural disgust with old age, all of our idols of youth and beauty and health. It's right there that we suddenly understand the value of a day like today, a day about death. The death of Jesus is the exact point on the timeline of human history where death was fundamentally changed. Prior to Jesus, death was a kind of authority over humanity. It was final. It was, in a sense, unknowable. No one had ever come back from it before. It was this gaping hole in all of our collective futures that was terrifyingly inescapable and soberingly permanent. Death was a destination before Jesus. It was a punishment, and it was essentially an undoing of 40 or 60 or 80 years of thoughts and dreams and relationships and life. And then, on Good Friday... When death had the gall to try and undo Jesus of Nazareth's thoughts and dreams and relationships and life, it could not hold him. Finally, death had met its match. This is why this Friday is a good Friday for us. With the death of Jesus, all the fullness, all the requirements, the eternal, unmatchable appetite of death was finally satisfied. Death swallowed Jesus, was filled to the brim by the abundance of his life, and spat him back out, fundamentally changed forever. Death was finally satisfied by the life and death of Jesus, which he conquered forever by his return to life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul quoted the Old Testament prophet Hosea and asked this question. He said, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing created, not even something as elemental to all of creation like death can overthrow the creator. A day like today, a day about death, has a place for us in that because of Jesus' death, we can meet all of the small deaths of our own human experience. And we don't have to blame, and we don't have to rationalize, and we don't have to avoid. Today is a day for us to be honest about those deaths, about our own death because of Jesus' death. For three days, his disciples and his city and the world had to live in the excruciating pain of losing him. And along with him, all hope of deliverance, all hope in the Messiah. For us, today and tomorrow, this Friday, this Saturday, are opportunities to look our own suffering in the eye and to be honest with ourselves and each other about our losses, the deaths of our dreams, our hopes, and our illusions. So may we sit with the reality of our circumstances today knowing that the sting and the victory of death will never arrive in full for us. Sunday will come, Jesus will return to life, and we will pass with him through that death into life by the power of his resurrection. Our losses, all of our small deaths, will pass with him into life. He is our hope. He is our life. He becomes our only dream. He becomes our vision of the future and our greatest love. And because he has conquered death, we know that death can never take those things from us. But he is only those things because he died. So in contemplating Jesus' death, two passages from the last week of his life stuck out to me this past week. I'd like to read them with you now, and then we'll close in worship this evening. The first is from John chapter 14. You can read along if you'd like to. We'll begin in verse 25. Jesus is speaking. Jesus said, and I want to read this slowly for you. I want you to really hear the voice of the Messiah with his apprentices in the room the night before he was killed, speaking. He really said these things. He said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, God, will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
I think Jesus is answering a fear the disciples have. How will we remember? We didn't take that good of notes. He's saying the Spirit will remind you. 27, peace I leave with you. The night before he leaves them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you again. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced when I said this, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before this thing takes place, so that when it does take place, you will believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So rise and let us go from here. Jesus knew that he was leaving. He saw his death rightly for what it was, the beginning of life for all of mankind. The return of the communion of God and man, which had been lost in sin in the garden, the God with us theme of the entire Old Testament coming vividly to life in Jesus. From Jesus' perspective, confronting that death, his death, and all of our own deaths with him is something we can navigate because he has left us with peace. Jesus' death is not a triumph for God's enemy. Don't misunderstand the purpose of a day like today. It is not a day to be drawn deeper into the depression that comes from believing that God has separated himself from us. We can face these deaths because Christ is near. He is with us. Jesus' death is an expression of love between the Son and the Father. It is also an expression of love between all three persons of the Trinity and us and you. It is God's love on full display. Finally, from John 15, you can turn over a page or two if you need to in your Bible. Chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says this. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds out from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. You hear Jesus speaking to us about our own deaths? A time was close at hand when people would begin to kill Jesus' apprentices, thinking that they were serving God by doing so. That death is not something to fear, he says. It is well within the scope of Jesus' sovereignty and love for us. God's plan for you, believer, cannot be conquered, not even by death, because Christ has died your death once for all. I want to pray for you. Father, give us the sobriety and maturity to deal with a day like today. How much easier it would be to ignore it, to sidestep it, to dodge it, to come into Good Friday anticipating only the resurrection and avoiding the death which makes the resurrection a necessity. Father, if we can be honest and real, we see all in your word, suffering, hardship, trial, spirit of depression, God, a spirit that, that draws us down into ourselves to try to solve our own problems, to medicate our own needs. We need your mercy. We are a people who need you, Jesus, the Son of God, to have mercy on us. And so we cry out to you. We cry from a position of safety and security. Tonight, God, believing that your death and resurrection is proof positive that you can do what you say you will do for us, we still need you to do it. We, these people gathered in this place, need you to meet us here and to change us, God, and to give us peace where we have fear, 
to give us love where our hearts have been given over to hatred, God, to give us eyes to see those who are in need instead of only ever meeting our own desires. Make us like you, God. Form us by the power of your spirit and the work that you did on the cross, in the grave, and at your resurrection. We love you. We trust that you will do these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.